Well, thank you, worship team. As we continue in our study of uh, 1 Corinthians, turn with me to chapter 1 and verse 10, page 924 in our Bibles here. So good to hear our voices raised in exalting Christ this morning. It really was. I enjoy uh, following the Bucks and the Brewers and the Packers. I, I would consider myself a moderate to high interest sports fan. Uh, I, I say every day, I think, I intentionally read some sports. I like to know what's going on and experience some of those you know, highs and lows when your team wins or loses. Last year, I bought a, a new Bucks hooded sweatshirt. And I've got a nice brewer's cap and some shirts, and I've got way too much Packer gear. But you know, I've never bought or worn a, a, a jersey with a name on it. No, no, no criticism if, if you like jerseys with names on it, but I just never have. Because I know how long I keep clothes. <laughs> and I know that about the time I, I put out the dollars to, to buy a jersey that I like, the guy's going to get traded, or he's going to be involved in some kind of a, of a scandal. I'm a, I'm a franchise fan. And so I'm going to be cheering for whoever the quarterback is on Lombardi Avenue next year. Why am I telling you this? I don't care if you like jerseys or not. But the first century church in Corinth was essentially buying jerseys of their favorite spiritual players. And it wasn't just a matter that, hey, they were rah-rah, really liked this preacher more than others. It's that they were like pulling people over to their team and say, let's be, you know, Team Apollos. And it was creating significant division in the church. In fact, they were becoming known for their division. Surely this couldn't happen today, you know, with all of our access by technology to the to the spiritual celebrities, right? Favorite pastors, authors, musicians, podcasters, good people. And sometimes it can be divisions that could distract us from Christ or other things could. Verse 10, Paul writes to the friends, the people he loves at Corinth. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Seems impossible, right? My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another name for Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. And then the next section says, is Christ divided? Paul's main concern at Corinth, he starts his letter really with his main concern, and that is the divisiveness present in Corinth. There were divisions, there was quarreling. So as you think through in these coming months with me the different issues of concern that Paul had about the church in Corinth. 
it all went back to these relational arguments over different something. One of them is this. Choosing your favorite spiritual leaders or players. So the issue in, in our modern church sometimes is and sometimes isn't this particular issue, but there are plenty of non-essentials that can divide Christians. We all understand that. And so if you find yourself getting upset, quarreling with other Christians over something non-essential to Jesus Christ in the gospel, you're not just hurting your own blood pressure, but you're actually hurting the church, and it's not your church. It's Christ's church. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them brothers in both verse 10 and in verse 11. This is a family appeal for unity. It's a family appeal. It seems that his, his concern for Corinth has not yet risen to how he felt about the Galatians. If you recall, some of you in Galatians 3, 1, he says, you foolish Galatians. That, that's, a, that's a deeper level of rebuke. Because that was about a significant doctrinal issue. They were uh, perverting, confusing the gospel. This wasn't that. This division was not about significant doctrinal issues. In fact, the three humans he names, Paul, Apollos, and Peter, they all had great doctrinal unity. They, in fact, those three men all had great personal unity. Paul is not calling out the Corinthians to unity because of doctrine. He's calling them to unity because they were arguing over a relatively silly issue. Who is your favorite preacher? Brothers, he says. Seriously? So he said, I appeal, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thus stating that, he is saying, this is our unity. The Lord Jesus Christ is the unity that we have. We have agreement about Jesus Christ. We have agreement about the gospel. That is, is most important. So as we apply this or seek to today, we have to first of all keep in the forefront the fact that our unity is in Christ. Anything that distracts us personally, internally, or relationally from exalting Christ is a dangerous distraction. So what are the things that make us quarrel today? Well, there's plenty, aren't there? I'd say I've been following the Christian world, what, 40-some years since I was maybe started thinking that way in Bible college. And uh, there's been plenty of divisive issues that are not the gospel and not Jesus. Worship music. Some prefer drums, guitars, electronic devices. Especially several decades ago, that was kind of a big issue. Is it, is it proper to worship with you know, kind of a rock beat kind of a thing? Some prefer one, some prefer organ, piano, and hymns, and still do. What should you wear to church? 
There are times and places and churches where uh, there, there's a strong preference, kind of an unspoken dress code. Shirts and ties would be best, you know. And ladies wearing dresses. And maybe that's exactly how your thoughts would be. And that's okay. There are disagreements over use of alcohol. Is it, is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol in moderation? Or should you totally abstain some Christians on each side of that. Some Christians would, 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 would feel pretty much that Republicans are always right, and some would say they don't bat a thousand. We all understand there are differences. And is it okay that we have differences about some of these things? Different convictions, different opinions, strongly held views, strong, strong concerns about Trends that are not the gospel and not about Jesus Christ. It's okay. In fact, I think if the Apostle Paul wrote us a letter, he would certainly copy and paste verse 10, wouldn't he? I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, so that there be no divisions among you, and that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. And he didn't mean those issues. He meant Christ in the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he gets to verse 17, at the end of our, our study today, he says, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. He was all about Christ and the cross. He said, we've got we to rally focus around that. And that was, this was his introduction to the issue they were facing in Corinth, this, I like this guy, I like that guy. So verse 11 tells us how Paul found out about the quarreling in Corinth. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, Cephas, Peter, I follow Christ. We don't know much about Chloe, but one thing's obvious from her name. It's a, it's a female name. It's a woman. And it's simply, the language just says, I've heard from Chloe's people. It could be family, it could be friends, it could be associates, it could be servants. I've heard from Chloe's uh, people. Somehow there, Chloe is known by Paul, who is writing from Ephesus, and Chloe is known by the Corinthians. So this is a good time to, as we kind of try to get, since we don't have all the information about Chloe, it's a good time to kind of get a, a, a geographical review of where Chloe was and where Paul was. So this is from our study last week. That, uh, and Paul's second missionary journey is when he first came to Corinth, sent out by the church of Antioch. He eventually, after planting churches elsewhere, gets to Corinth and spends 18 months there and shares the gospel and establishes the church. And it's a, it's a, it's a good start to the church. And then he moves on and goes back uh, around. As we zoom in on this area, um, it's now the third journey. We've gone from A.D. 50 to probably A.D. 55, about five years later. And Paul hasn't spent most of that time in Corinth, but he keeps getting reports from Corinth in various ways. 
because actually on his third journey, as Paul gets to Ephesus, now on this journey, he's going, you see, he's going to get to Corinth, but he's not there yet. In fact, he pauses at, at Ephesus for between two and three years and really kind of sets up a, a school and training and discipleship center there in, in, in Ephesus. But in the process of, of helping that whole area with training and so forth and evangelizing, he, he's still keeping tabs on some of the other churches that he's planted. And so while he's there, he gets word that from Chloe that there are these quarrels and divisions in Corinth. So obviously if Paul is in Ephesus, Chloe is either from Ephesus or gets to Ephesus. And we have to use a little sanctified imagination to guess because we don't know for sure. So some have thought, well, maybe Chloe's from Corinth and she goes and goes over to Ephesus to tattle on the, on the people. But it's interesting because already we know that there was an official delegation sent from the church of Corinth, it seems. Those three men listed at the end of 1 Corinthians, Stephanus, uh, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, who seemed to have come to, to Paul maybe with a written list of questions. We're facing these things, and that's what he addresses in this book. And so he's going to get to all those other issues yet in this, this significant letter, but somewhere after maybe that report, he also gets to hear from Chloe that there's quarreling and division. He says, this, is, this relational thing is, is huge. And so I need to address that. And so how did he hear from Chloe? Chloe? We don't really know. She may not have been from Corinth at all. In fact, I like the suggestion that she may have been someone from Ephesus. And it's not unlikely that she could have been a, 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 in a family business or something that, that her or her servants have, have traveled as, as they did between major cities and trade and ports there that, that as a Christian businesswoman, she could have gone to visit the church there. There weren't that many Christians, so if you knew of Christians in one city, that you would probably go find, look them up and, and find your hospitality there. And so somehow in this process, she finds out Sadly, that there is division and it bothers her. So maybe when she goes back to Ephesus, she talks to Paul and says, do you hear what's going on there in Corinth? Through the decades, um, it is sadly routine for me to hear about some church that is really being torn apart over one thing or another. And people leave and pastors leave and there are significant uh, issues. And it's not unlikely that a fair number of you, somewhere if you've been in the Christian world and churches over the last 10, 20, 30 years, that, that you've maybe left a church because of significant uh, division and struggle. Uh, Open Door has not been completely immune to, to conflict and quarreling, but I think for the most part we do a pretty good job of rallying around grace and uh, unity in Christ. We just have to be very passionate in pursuing that, very clear in our focus. And so I think this passage leaves us with a real clear assignment that before we quarrel, we hold opinions, but before we quarrel with other Christians about non-Christ and gospel discipleship issues, really check your heart. And in and in, in many cases, maybe duct tape your mouth. I think Paul would have said that, but they didn't have duct tape at that point. So 
It's possible. Here's the obvious thing to me about Chloe and her people. They were not part of the quarreling, but they were troubled by the quarreling. I think that's something we forget sometimes, is that arguing Christians trouble Christians who are not arguing. And that sometimes, um, well, maybe you can remember growing up in a home with a lot of arguing. And you, you know how uncomfortable it made you that, that maybe mom and dad were always at each other. Maybe you have worked of necessity in an environment where that's just normal. And you're looking for another job, and, and it, it, if maybe why you left home at 18 is you want, to, you want to run out of the room, you want to get out of that situation. Because what argumentative people rarely consider is how troubling their all-important issue is to people around them. Because most people don't relish being around a lot of conflict. Especially around things that don't matter. Many, many people have left churches about that, as we said. Unfortunately, many, many Christians, I think, have left churches forever over things like that, become so disaffected. They're thinking, you know, I, I, I face this all the time at work. I face it at the family reunions. I, I don't really want to face it where I come to worship God and grow in my relationship. I, I just don't want these disturbing feelings. So what was the issue specifically there in Corinth? It was the choosing Jersey names. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. All godly men who loved Christ in the gospel. Paul mentions himself first. He says, I'm, I realize I'm, I'm in this discussion too. He could have been flattered that he had kind of his people there, you know. But he was concerned about the virtual idolatry it was creating. Peter, we don't know that Peter ever went to Corinth. We have no record that he did, but it is interesting, chapter 9, verse 5 here. They knew who Peter was. He brings him up as Peter, Paul said in, in chapter 9, verse 5, he, he's married and he travels with his wife, so who knows? We don't have all the story of the New Testament where everybody went. They could have known him personally, or they could have just known that he's like the, the lead voice uh, there in uh, in. Uh, the founding church, Jerusalem. But then there's Apollos. Uh, Apollos is singled out. He's brought up several times in, in the book. Um, he was a Christian leader, speaker, voice that the Corinthians knew very well personally, and they, they admired Apollos. He first shows up in the New Testament in Ephesus, where Paul was when he wrote this letter. Take a look at uh, where they were. So we said last week how Paul and Aquila and Priscilla were in Corinth together, planting the church. Then Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla all move on to Ephesus. In uh, chapter 18, just before this, it says that Paul left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus while he went on back to Jerusalem and Antioch and so forth. And then eventually Paul gets back to Ephesus. But this happens between. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. 
though he knew only about the baptism of John the Baptist, right? He began to speak boldly in the synagogue of the Jews when Aquila and Priscilla heard him because they were still in Ephesus. They invited him to their home privately and explained to him the way of God more adequately. This is a fascinating uh, story of Apollos. So Apollos was an enthusiastic believer, heard about Christ somehow in Alexandria, enough to know and put his faith in Christ, know that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior, but there's some things that he was missing. And Aquila and Priscilla are hearing that, and they're sitting there, and they're hearing this guy that he speaks so well about Jesus, but he's missing a few things, and very discreetly, they, they invite him to their home, because why blow up the church meeting over this thing? And, and they explain the way, and it seems that Apollos takes it humbly. He's a teachable guy. I really like Apollos. He, he seems to be the kind of leader you would want. In fact, that's the kind of leader that you can see that others would really enjoy. The next verses. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's the region where Corinth, the city is, the brothers and sisters in Ephesus encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there, Corinth, to welcome him. When he arrived at Corinth, he was a great help to those by grace who had believed for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So he, he's grown through the, the, the information that Priscilla and Aquila had, had quietly shared with him. And he's sent. He is a great guy. He is smart. He's well-spoken. He's teachable. He's helpful. And he, he has this ability actually to, in a public setting, to refute. Don't you like those guys? They, they can really like, say just the right thing that, that captures the argument on a legitimate thing, like, is Jesus really the Son of God, the Messiah? That, that's an important one. Maybe, maybe Apollos was good-looking, too. I mean, this guy was, was popular. And he shows up in Corinth after the time that Paul had been there for 18 months establishing the church, and, and who knows how much more time, another year or two has passed, and, and people are hearing Apollos, and they're going, I really like this guy. In fact, I like him better than Paul. And then some other people say, what did you just say? You like Apollos better than Paul. Paul is our spiritual father. Don't you be dissing Paul. And then in their flesh, they just kind of rally around their favorite guy. I'm on Apollos' team. I'm on Paul's team. So, while, while that's happening in, in Corinth, remember uh, Paul is in Ephesus, gets to Ephesus, and he's establishing more training and that kind of thing. He hears from Chloe. Maybe she's back from a business trip. Maybe she gets messages back from the people that she knows or relatives, whatever it is. And Chloe says, do you know what's going on in Corinth? They are all taking sides between Peter, Paul, and Apollos, except for those who said, I'm, I follow Jesus. And it really bothers Paul. Not bothers him that they love Apollos, but bothers him that they are quarreling about who is better. In fact, he doesn't even leave it alone after this mention in chapter 1. You can either look in your Bibles or I'll put it up here in chapter 3. He comes back to this. When one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The word means fleshly. 
operating out of your sin nature, acting just like an unbeliever. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted the church, Apollos watered the church, God gave the increase. You see how easily divisions were distracting them from Christ and what God was doing in their midst. Don't compare us. That's what unbelievers do. No doubt Paul knew how good of a speaker and appealing he was, maybe by personality or whatever. Because when Paul shortly after 1 Corinthians has to write a second book, 2 Corinthians, I know some of the ladies are studying that one right now, he acknowledges, I'm not that great of a speaker. For they say, Paul says, referring to his critics, and he had plenty of critics. Who do you suppose his critics were? People who chose sides with somebody else. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech is of no account. He doesn't have great stage presence. But boy, his letters pack a punch, don't we know? <laughs> in fact, just a chapter later, he brings it up again. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul, Paul was in the center of this debate. Would you like to listen to Paul or Apollos? We all know his letters. We think, ah, oh, if I could just eavesdrop on Paul teaching. When, in fact, probably we'd say, how about Apollos? I would enjoy him a lot more. If you've been a Christian a while, you probably have some spiritual teachers you value more highly than others. That's normal. That's okay. Just be very careful that in a conversation you are not putting down someone else when you're appreciating someone that God uses in your life. I'm going to think through a, a series of ways that I think this is very good timing pertinent for Open Door. We're going through some staff changes, aren't we? As a church. Not by choice. Part of our grief is that we really have appreciated Pastor Seth and loved him for his personality and for his gifts. And it's a deep loss. Uh, if our staffing plan uh, works out as, as we think God is directing us, then uh, Pastor Nate will be taking Pastor Seth's role at some point. Pastor Nate is not Pastor Seth. Probably a bigger adjustment will be whoever the church calls to be the next youth and family pastor. We don't know him at all. I don't know him because we haven't found him yet. Um, he's going to need a lot of grace and encouragement, maybe for years, because he will not be Pastor Nate. And we really appreciate Pastor Nate for his personality, his gifts, his leadership of, of that whole large area of ministry. But this guy will have different gifts and different personality. And someday, about 40 years from now, I won't be the senior pastor and there'll be somebody else speaking on weekends. Some of you, some of you, are, doing, some of you are doing the math right now, right? We do not follow 
leaders except that we follow Christ. And leaders will change. The message of Christ will not change. And we have to keep that primary focus. Don't be distracted from Christ by attachment to those who have helped us spiritually in Christ. Another example. Our adult Bible fellowships, kind of small church settings, have two or three leaders, you'll notice. Um, for one thing, we, that enables them to share the load since they're all volunteers. But it's a way to practice this principle as well, that we aren't just focused on one person. I get it. We, as, as somebody is first trying out adult Bible fellowships, uh, I actually encourage people, you know, visit a couple weeks to see if that's where you, you fit and you get to hear a couple teaching styles. Because I know we, we understand the, that there are differences in connections and so forth. But we're there to focus on Bible and fellowships and be adults about it, right? <laughs> Adult Bible fellowships is, it's a, it's a, team effort in our adult Bible fellowships uh, recently and in, and in here we've been promoting and, and encouraging to, to sign up for uh, access to right now media uh, and check out how to do that but uh, you, you have access now 24 7 to really the best Christian communicators in the world today you really do. It's, it's, it's all there and we're using some of their materials in our adult Bible fellowships I, I, it really well. It's, it, it, it can be really effective to have them. Uh, but you hear the guy on, on, on the screen, and then, then you've got your ABF leader, right? So don't do that comparison. I don't think that's really a problem. And, but even then, as you compare people you get to know in the Christian world who are really effective and, and communicators, and, and you'll have your favorites, but, but realize that uh, it doesn't mean you'll like them all or you need to like them all or that you will even agree with them all, or that even Open Door can use all of them in terms of a, of a fit in our, in our own church family. And that's okay. Probably one of the most serious warnings we could have in our day is if you jump on the bandwagon of Paul, Apollos, or Peter, or, or whoever it is, today we're finding out that once in a while, somebody that we really, really honored and cherished the way... They, they get exposed for moral or ethical failure. Then what? When you've been all focused on this guy or this woman, and you find these shocking revelations like we've had several in recent years. I know of one organization that utilized one of our, the, the, the church's excellent defenders of the faith in their materials, and now that man is forever disgraced, and they have to redo all their materials to scrub him from from their resources. Paul's message is very practical. Don't follow the man or the woman. Follow Christ. This weekend, you ladies, you have an opportunity to hear some, some great women speakers that are, that are they, 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 they're going to understand you and the culture. Just be careful. Go. Please go. Go, listen, learn. Let God speak to your heart. But don't get too enamored by a single personality or person. The last name mentioned on the list is Christ himself, which is really interesting because you'd think that's what, that, that's what Paul wants us to do, right? Follow Christ? I think we understand there's, there's some, I don't know, sarcasm, but it's like 
there's something that's not right either because they're in a list of don't just follow these men and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the people who say I follow Christ because I think what Paul means is that these people were their own little self-righteous club who simply wouldn't learn from anyone they found something wrong with everyone you know people like that but sometimes you just like so I hear about all the Christian leaders you don't like do you like anybody I follow Christ So you can, have, you, can have, you can be right in your doctrine and, and still be a jerk about it, right? So Paul says, is Christ divided? Three questions actually in verse 13. All of them are meant to be absurd and ridiculous to make a point. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? But the first one is, is, is the foundation. Choosing favorites who preach Christ distracts you from the glory that is due Christ who died for you. So don't divvy up glory to these human beings because it will distract you from the glory of Christ. You know, so what do we do about the whole personality thing? God gave us personalities, and that's okay. It's great, in fact. What, what, we don't want a bunch of robots in the church family. But we can, as we can appreciate certain personality traits, we have to be careful that we don't see Christianity like the, like the cereal aisle in the grocery store. I, I, I like a Lucky Charms pastor. You know. Happy, funny all the time. Flashy. Someone else, no, no, I want the oat brand doctrinal <laughs> substance kind of a pastor. And some say, I just look at the picture on the Wheaties box. Can you divide Christ into brands? No. And yet here's the thing, and I, I was thinking this week, just I'm preaching to myself, because we're in the process of a search for another staff, pastoral staff member. You think personality isn't part of the equation? So we receive some resumes, we find other resumes, and then you, you, know, you search social media, you find a video where they're speaking, and you just, you know, all kinds of filters are going through there. Pray for us that, that we, we know how to evaluate the right things in the right way to the right degree, because we understand that there's such a thing as a, a cultural fit. But as, as we think about people we appreciate or follow in the body of Christ, just don't, don't give all your loyalty, your defense, that it becomes almost idolatry, because sometimes I think as people just latch on to certain people, like the line between God and man gets like heretically blurry sometimes. When we exalt certain Christians, our eyes are off Christ. When we criticize other Christians, our eyes are off Christ. So worship Christ. But enjoy those who minister to you best. Don't enjoy how they make you feel. Enjoy what they do to point you to Christ and transform you. It might be a favorite prod, podcast or a, uh, someone that you've listened to on the radio maybe for, for decades. They seem to get you. 
And if you've attended Open Door more than two or three times, I hope I can be helpful to you. There's plenty of folks who come a week or two and never come back. But Paul wasn't writing this because he had hurt feelings. He was writing this because he wanted to point them to the supremacy of Christ. Was Christ? Was Paul crucified for you? Second absurd question. He tactfully chooses his own name first, implying, though, that Paul, Apollos, Peter, none of us died for you. You realize that, right? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus died for you. Exalt Jesus. Don't, don't parcel out the, the glory that belongs to Christ. Third one, were you baptized into the name of Paul? A third ridiculous statement. No. No one would dare to say that, yet there evidently was this thing that they were bragging or proud about who baptized them. Baptism is that symbol that Christ prescribed that we would outwardly express through immersion into water and coming up. We would outwardly express that we have put our faith in Christ and seek to live a different life. Uh, actually, we hope to, to, to have a baptism service here in the next couple months. If you're interested, talk to Pastor Nate or myself. But it doesn't matter who baptized you, does it? <laughs> but some people, some people were doing that. Were you baptized into the name of Christ? And then he actually goes into a little bit of a detail, Paul does, 14, 15, and 16, about who he baptized. He says, I am thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say you were baptized into my name, except those two. Verse 16, oh, yes. Mine, I have verse 16 in parenthesis. I kind of smile. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. <laughs> I, 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 I love the humanity of, of the inspiration of Scripture. So Paul is recalling, oh yeah, there's Gaius. Gaius, or rather Crispus. Crispus, if you were with us last week, he was, he was that Jewish synagogue leader who, when the, the synagogue rejected Paul, but not Crispus, he became a believer, he and his household. So I baptized him. And then Gaius, we'll find later on and put Romans and Corinthians together, Gaius is actually the guy who hosted the church. He must have had a larger house or, or something, but he was the host to the church. I baptized him. And then his mind kind of, oh yeah, one more, uh, Stephanus. He was one of those three messengers sent from Corinth to Ephesus uh, with, a re, with a list of questions for, for Paul. It, it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing to think that Paul is humanly processing this thing. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is actually inspiring so that we have exactly in our Bibles what, what we're supposed to know about this uh, process of inspiration. So, Verse 17 then declares that who, does, who baptized you doesn't matter, but here's what does matter. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That's the bottom line. That's what matters. Not with words of human wisdom, where you're comparing who sounds smarter, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The gospel message is what matters because it contains the power of the cross to eternally save us. So Christ sent me to preach the good news. Gospel means good news. The good news is this. 
in light of the bad news that I am a sinner and I deserve God's eternal judgment forever in hell. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. And upon Jesus, he took the whole sin of all the world and put it on Jesus, and then God the Father punished Jesus for all of our sin so that God could in turn then offer eternal life to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's the one who died for us, not Peter, Paul, or Apollos. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who rose again. Have you put your faith in the gospel? That's, that's, his, that's Paul's heartbeat. Not with words of human wisdom. In fact, that's introducing really the subjects of the next couple of our studies in chapter one, the rest of one and really chapter two. It doesn't depend, depend upon the speaking of ability of, the, of Apollos versus Paul. It doesn't. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power because if you are, are cheering or defending your favorite guy, you are distracted from the person of Christ and what he came to accomplish. The cross is the hinge of history. The cross and the resurrection is what keeps us out of hell and can guarantee our passage into heaven forever. That's be united about Christ. Paul's not saying there's not a place for Christians to be bold in disagreement. But it needs to be about the gospel. So he wrote to the Galatians, don't pervert the gospel. If somebody would say that God, that the cross is not sufficient, if the, dilute the, the message of the cross, if, if they say anything that would even, we see here, distract people from thinking about the cross, then that's a problem. But beyond that, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another, that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. So you don't need to buy me a Giannis jersey for uh, Father's Day, and I'm thinking the Rogers jerseys will be on sale soon. <laughs> but uh, mostly don't buy jerseys for your favorite preacher or author or podcaster, but keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you and you alone are worthy of our worship. Guide us, Heavenly Father, to um, become worshipers in private, so focused on you, the cross, and your power to save that when we come together with other Christians, we are just delighted that this is a brother and sister in Christ who knows you as Savior, who exalts you as Lord, and who seeks to follow and, and, and live for you. And then help us, Lord, in, in our complicated world to sort out um, priorities, what, what, what matters, what matters most, and uh, to be just overflowing with grace for believers who are different than us by personality, appearance, uh, convictions, opinions that we would be known for our unity in Christ, dear Lord, I pray. Amen.